welcome to the Passion Fit Coaching podcast. This podcast is hosted by my husband, Tom Ward, and it is produced and directed by professional athlete Lydia Dant. Tom is our Passion Fit Coaching strategy... No, what are you again? What are you you actually? Coaching strategy creator. So whilst we're trying to figure out the finer details of what Tom's title really means, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Passion Fit Coaching Podcast, episode 35, prologue. So we're recording a little prologue to this episode because it's quite an important subject matter. It was a difficult one to record, but one that we thought was really important. We generally listen to the podcast back before we release them because, and Lydia, Lauren and I all listen to them because we have a very different way of looking at things, viewing the world, communicating our message. And even though Lauren's not on the podcast, for example, um, her different perspective is really important to get to make sure before we release the podcast that the impact that we want it to have is achieved and the way we want that impact to land um, is, appro- is appropriate as well. That we we deliver the podcast in such a way that it's fair, it's balanced and all those things and having three different perspectives is really important. All of us have listened to this podcast and we're really, really happy with it. We think it delivers the message we want to deliver in a really really clear and balanced way one of the things that we wanted to be absolutely clear about before you listen to this is that in this podcast we reference a age grouper who has recently been banned for doping and we want to make absolutely clear that we have no reservations about the way that this athlete was supported by their coach and their support team in fact very much the opposite um You'll hear in the podcast this that this athlete's coach took a very specific action with UK anti-doping themselves. And, you know, that is arguably the best safeguarding action you can take for any athlete if you suspect them of doping. And so we wanted to make it absolutely clear that, um, you know, big respect to this individual's coach for the decision that they made. And by no means are we implying that the um, environment this coach created for the athlete was um, linked to the athletes' decisions to do what they did. It's about the environment that we experience generally as athletes in the sport of triathlon that we believe is the impact. So enjoy the podcast, um, and we'd love to have a little bit of your feedback on this one if you feel that uh, it resonates with you. Performance toxicity. What is this, and why do we need to talk about it? So welcome to episode 35, episode 35 of the Passion Fit Coaching Podcast. So this week is slightly more serious and important topic. Yeah, a little bit less ranty. Yeah. <clears throat> Last week or maybe even just a few days ago, depending on when we released this, um, we uh, had a slightly more flippant, jovial, tongue-in-cheek podcast that had to go through the Lauren um, podcast. Can we, can we publish this one? Yeah, the Lauren <laughs> podcast uh, certification advisory process. Um, and she did approve it. Apparently, I was sufficiently caveated the controversial topics for her to approve it. It is good. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but this week we want to talk about something a little bit more serious, something that we feel is really important. We will have covered off this in in different ways in previous podcasts, and yeah. it's probably a um, a narrative that comes through in a lot of our content um, and our philosophy, our ideology, our co- our coaching strategy. 
but we thought it was really important to talk about again perhaps because of the this time of year is yeah. something that tends to come up quite a lot anyway as we start to approach the beginning of the race season for a lot of triathletes um, and multi-sport athletes people have got through that sort of christmas winter period and they're starting to think about racing in fact today um was oman 70.3 so was. i guess arguably one of the first races and i think challenge one occur as well yeah, it was so i think you know arguably one of the first triathlon races of the year we've done a couple of races already this year mountain yeah. bike race and a off-road duathlon randomly next area <clears throat> yeah. so um uh, but we wanted to talk about this because also yet again we've seen this week in the media um a situation where an athlete has been banned or taken a ban for a doping offence. Yeah. Uh, this time, last year, the really high-profile case was obviously that one, that of Colin Chartier. Uh, and this year, or this time, it's um, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Lewis Walker. Um, I don't know Lewis. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's been um, open uh, publicity about this from um, uh, Age Group News and from UK Anti-Doping about what's happened and Lewis has seemingly released a statement about the root cause of this and, and what's happened. Now, I don't know Lewis, I don't know uh the, you know how you know how true the story behind this is. You have to assume that it's the truth. Um I don't know anything about Lewis as an individual. Um I have reached out to him um, because I would like to understand a little bit more about this situation, I think, because I think it's really important that we understand these situations. And I was very fortunate last year to uh, spend um, some time chatting to Colin about his situation. He was very kind. I reached out to Colin and he spent a bit of time chatting to me about it. And over the course of the last year, occasionally we've had, you know, text conversations about things. And it was really sad, you know, really emotional conversation I had with him. You know, I, I understand how people may feel about Colin and how people feel about dopers in general um and cheats as we might refer to them um and i i understand why that people feel like that about those people um but having spoken you know to colin in great length um you know my opinion already was pretty open-minded about it and changed quite a lot not changed quite a lot but i guess the conversation with him sort of reinforced what my concerns might have been you know, because I'd already picked up on some of the some of the narrative around it that worried me. Things like his coach claiming he knew nothing about it, um, the way that his coach had um, presented the way he coached, for example, the amount of time, for example, that he spent with you know, with Colin and engaging with Colin on a one-to-one basis bothered me. And there were lots of red flags about the whole situation, really, that implied even before speaking to Colin that there was more to this than just somebody narcissistically cheating. Um, and this situation with Lewis, the, the statement that Lewis has put out seems to suggest similar. And the reason that we want to talk about performance toxicity is because we have some concerns that this is an underlying issue that we have. Performance toxicity is an underlying issue that leads to these things. And it's not just in triathlon, it's in all sport, but not just in sport, in life. Um, and we... You know, we try to develop a coaching uh, strategy, philosophy, process and a community that um, counters this and hopefully prevents people ending up in these situations. Now, you can never do everything, but we try and do something. And of course, with Lydia, you know, who's who, um, you know, presents the podcast and directs them and produces them 
Yeah. Um, where she's a professional athlete, of course, she's exposed to a considerable amount of performance pressure. Even though she doesn't ask for it, it comes. Yeah. You know, you could be walking through the airport, Lanzarote, and be asked, you know, are you going to, are you aiming to win Ironman Lanzarote again this year? And, you know, whether you like it or not, that will invoke an element of, you know, pressure internally. Yeah. As an individual, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we're very tuned into this, acutely tuned into it, and um, we have to work very proactively in and specifically to prevent you being impacted by it, me yeah. being impacted by it as a coach. Yeah. Um, but that also then allows us to develop techniques and strategies that stop other athletes falling foul of this and um, that don't necessarily perform at the level you do. Yeah. Because if you can do it, yeah. then the reality is anyone should be able to do it. Yeah. yeah? Okay. So first of all, let's just try and explain. Now, I've I wrote about this two years ago or 18 months ago. So after the 70.3 World Championships in Utah... I became increasingly frustrated with the narrative that was coming out from a lot of coaching companies. So a lot of coaching companies started using their athletes' performances in Utah to talk about why athletes should work with them. So, for example, look how well our athletes performed. If you'd like to perform this well, come and work with us and we'll help you perform like that. And it started to get on my tits, really. To oh, be yeah. honest with you, it pisses me off. And, um, you know, I, I understand it's tricky as a coaching company of any kind because we do um we don't just do we don't just coach athletes we coach non-athletes one-to-one and we also do some corporate coaching and it's very difficult to sell your product even if it's non-performance oriented without talking about performance and how the people that you have uh worked with um before because yeah. the problem is that as a society we find it hard to relate to other things we find it much easier to relate to performance and um you can hear a bit of background noise. I think it might be a helicopter or next door's washing machine. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't tell. So sorry. Um, anyway, so, um, it, you know, sometimes you kind of have to talk about it a little bit because you can't get your message across or generate enough validation in what you do without talking a bit about performance. So we use, you know, how Lydia's been able to perform and the journey that she's been on, the progressive journey she's been on to help demonstrate how what we do works which I'd rather not have to do, but you kind of have to, or you run the risk of reaching no one. So the idea is we compromise on that so that we can reach more people, right? Otherwise, we don't even get people's attention. That's the problem. Um, but I just think that at the moment, we have a problem whereby, particularly in the athletic world, that is all coaches are selling. Performance, 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 performance. It's all they talk about. It's all they're selling to people. Um, and... I don't think, I don't believe, we don't believe, I think it's fair to say we, you, yeah, me, yeah. Uh, Lauren, and the majority of the passion fit community don't believe that actually performance is what people really want. So it's what people think they want, but it's not what people really want. Now, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um, and um, the reason that we think we want it, similarly to things like wealth, popularity, fame, or let just generally material things in life um, is because obviously we're influenced heavily to believe that these are things that we want. You know, I worked, I've worked in sales in some form or other, sales or sales performance management or coaching my whole life in some way or another. And of course, as, as salespeople, we basically, um, you know, thrive off our ability to influence 
people to purchase things that they don't always need. Um, they may benefit from, but they could possibly do without. So, for example, in the banking industry, you know, we lent people lots of money, often for things that they could quite easily have done without that weren't going to necessarily make them happy, but they believed they wanted or needed. Um, and we made money out of doing that. Of course, we did a lot of things also. We did a lot of bad things, don't get me wrong. You know, I worked in the banking industry from 1998 to 2015. So right, like literally across the banking crisis. But we also did a lot of good things. We, we sold people a lot of products they really did need um, and, and changed their lives. But, you know, a lot of sales is done that way. You know, most, a lot of the things that we all own, we don't need, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we were in Lanzarote, weren't we? And one of the things, you know, made me, like Lauren edited out my plane rant um, <laughs> from the YouTube video. But one of the things that bewilders me is how you kind of look at people in the airport and on the plane and when they arrive, they're in the airport going, they arrive at the airport when they get there. And you kind of wonder if people even know why they're there. Yeah. You know, do they actually really know why they're there or are they just there because they got into the place where they really started to think, yeah, do you know what? I'm here because they, they believe they, they believe so much that it's going to make them happy that they're there. You know, the amount of athletes that we coach, particularly the athletes with kids, um, I mean, I haven't got kids, so I can't relate to this directly, but they go on holiday and they come back more stressed than when they went. Yeah. Right? Because, but the perception is that holiday will help, but it doesn't help. And I've never been a great one for taking holidays because I don't really... I don't really get much, you know, of a recharge or from that. I get a bit no, I don't bored. Really understand them. Yeah, um, and you know, I, routine is relaxing for me. I like routine. Agreed. It's really <laughs> relaxing for me. I don't particularly like aeroplanes, airports, or people. I was going to say, let's just cut to the chase on that one. <laughs> yeah, um, and so it can be quite stressful for me going on holiday. We're about to go to Lanzarote for yeah. a training camp, and and I love that. But the the process of going and getting there is I find pretty stressful. We both do, don't we? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was the Dalai Lama that said something along the lines of um, the most insane thing about man is that he spends all of his time. People are going to be offended by the fact that he's the word man now, aren't they? But whatever. Um, everyone's offended by everything. He's, he's, he's so um, the, the most crazy thing about the insane thing about man is that he spends his entire life doing a job that he hates to earn money to spend time away from the job that he hates. And it's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of true, yeah. So anyway... Um, what, what concerns me in the sporting environment is that we create, we, we, we only celebrate performance. So all we do is we celebrate performers. We occasionally, you know, on the side celebrate other things like the Unsung Hero Award, Sports Personality. But most of the time when we celebrate sport, we celebrate high performers. And of course, we don't even know how legitimate our high performers are. Yeah. You know, um, we have to assume that they are, but there have been so many cases of high performers being outed as cheats um, that it's really difficult to know now. Um, and there have been many cases where they uh, high performers haven't been outed as cheats, but there's so much suspicion surrounding them. Um, you know, Floris Griffiths Joyner is a classic, you know, she's she sadly passed now. Um, but, you know, there are so many red flags in her journey that you think, gosh, you know, could it really have been legitimate? Who knows, right? Um, and, um, you know, in the NFL, you know, I watch I'm this last year or so, we're watching a lot of American football, which I've talked about before. And one of the things that I've noticed is there's a real narrative around NFL games being fixed. I, I have no idea. You know, Americans love a conspiracy theory, don't they, as well? But um, I, I don't know if that's true, but there's a, a lot of narrative around it. Um, and you could never be sure, could you? You could never be sure. No, not at all. 
Um, so I think, um, you know, you, you, you have to be careful about even, you know, when people perform how legitimate performance is. It's probably, if we didn't assume it was legitimate, we could get ourselves into a bit of a serious pit of despair or a cycle of conspiracy theories. But the reality is that we have to think about that. And, but we only celebrate performance. That's all we celebrate. And we never, it's rare that we celebrate other things. Um, and we don't celebrate sporting heroes often for who they are in terms of their behaviours, their values, the things that they do for the world, the value that they bring to others. We celebrate them based on how much they dominate other people in their sport. And we see this everywhere. And this has worried me for a long time, a long, long time. I grew up in a sporting world where I was encouraged to win at all costs. You know, as a hockey player, I was a pretty unpleasant person to play with, let alone against, because of my, you know, competitiveness and the way that I've been brought up to be like that. And everything I did was around winning or losing. I didn't care how I won. I just needed to win. And um, I think that, uh, you know, that is... Um, you know, that was something that brought out the very worst in me and eventually, though, helped me to really start to understand how damaging that can be. And, um, you know, we've seen some high profile cases recently. A, a, a few years ago, I'd said to Lids, to you and Lauren, that I had some concerns about Adam Peter. Yeah. Now, I don't know Adam. A lot of people that are listening to this might know Adam, you know, because but I don't. And, um, you know, I had some concerns because when you hear when people talked about Adam, and when you heard him talk, everyone talked about him being a winner. Yeah, that yeah. became his identity, defining who he was. And I had said to you that I thought I was worried that when he couldn't win anymore, that he would um, struggle with his mental health. And of course, recently we've seen that be the case. And, you know, he even gave an interview that indicated that that was the well, problem. He took a bit of time away, didn't he, from mm -hmm. something a little bit? Yeah, in fact, because he gave an interview where he'd finished second in a race for the first time for many, many years, and he actually said that he'd lost sleep that night yeah. after having finished second, which, you know, when you're listening to an athlete say that, you're thinking, holy shit, you know, how has that been allowed to happen? How has an athlete been allowed to be in a place where that's how they're going to react to not winning a race? Uh, and we see it everywhere, don't we? Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, we see these high-profile cases of that performance pressure that toxicity that comes with performance pressure really impacting people and it impacts their motivation it impacts their um, enjoyment it changes their identity their understanding of who that they are and I think that as coaches and particularly coaches that make a living from supporting coaches whether they be athletes or not we have a responsibility to make sure that we don't allow our coaches to end up in that place and we make sure that our athletes or our coaches whatever they might be recognize that what's important um, about their journey is other things um, and, and in fact Colin put out a really interesting statement really recently and I don't want to misquote him I have it written down somewhere um, about you know the, the thing that's really important is life is not how, what you achieve as an athlete but the value that you bring to those around you um, it was something along those lines and I thought it was a fantastic quote it didn't surprise me because you know so I've been following Colin's journey and you know I wasn't shocked to hear him say that um, because that does very much how seem to be how Colin comes across as a person deep down and there's no doubting that there's no doubting that that's what really matters um, and that's what we try and encourage with Impassion Fit and I just think it's time 
that we really started to take a look at this not just but also it's not just the responsibility of the coaches and the leaders it's the responsibility of individuals as well the coaches those of you that are going and looking for coaching support it, you have a responsibility to do this too because you need to spend enough time thinking about whether or not performance is what you really want you need to understand this and i i would urge you to consider this because i genuinely believe that despite it's, it's, us thinking it is what we want it isn't and this is why we see these peaks and troughs you know we see these massive anti-climaxes after races because athletes think oh you know if i finish this race or i win this race or i perform this way i'll feel great and what happens is you don't feel great from that outcome and then there's this massive low afterwards because instead of you having this you know this journey that you're on day to day you know this version of you that you want to be each day that makes you go to bed every night feeling fulfilled and get up every morning feeling motivated you put all your eggs in this kind of event you know this basket of on this day this will happen you live in this provisional state where yeah, you're yeah. waiting for something that you're expecting to happen to happen for you to feel good about yourself and your journey. It's pinning those hopes on... So that. Lydia is still here. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I am. Sorry, I had a bit of a monologue yeah, there. Sorry. Yeah, I can't really interject on that, can I? And uh, I think a lot of... Well, I've done it, and a lot of people see them think that by doing a certain thing um, and at a certain moment in time, mm. they're going to feel differently about themselves. Yeah. And then it's that massive come down afterwards yeah. when they haven't. Rather than, like, all you have is now, like you don't have anything else in the future you've no. had the past is done the, the futures are going ahead yeah. of yourself you have to be content in this moment and the future might not come exactly you just don't know what's going to happen do you and um and also that event might not come and then mm. what and like we saw in the pandemic suddenly all of those things were like taken away yeah and uh, a lot of people just became super demotivated by their journeys yeah. Yeah. they were trying they're training to a deadline and a moment in time that they feel by doing that it's gonna they're gonna feel different about themselves yeah nothing changes no like <laughs> that's the thing it's like you might get to that one day and and then what yeah. what happens after that it's yeah. like what you should be doing is celebrating every single day yeah. as if it's your race day basically yeah. because of the way that you've gone about it how you've approached it the mm. process you're following like how you feel about yourself and a person and the growth and development of that mm. that everyday journey should be the exciting thing yeah. not about yeah. that one moment and that one day yeah um because again, it would just you just feel like despondent afterwards. Yeah. Um, it's always quite an interesting one because I fall into like the life pitfalls, haven't I? Mm. Of uh, of this, of that performance culture about like that extrinsic validation from from people about okay, like get the house, get the degrees. That's the mm. first one. And um, you've got a good degree. Well. Oh, yeah. like the A's. <laughs> it's in geography. <laughs> Are we gonna carry on with that? <laughs> Um, it's always funny. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny. Fine. Um, get the degrees, get the house, get mm. the partner, uh, get the promotions, mm. and then it's the next thing. Go on to like that sort of that conveyor belt of life, which it's working out. And this is the thing that we, you kind of started to pick upon it, yeah, like point out was like, are you thinking about why? Yeah. And this is the problem that I hadn't been thinking about why I was doing those things. It was just kind of the dumb thing. And I thought all of those things would make me happy. Mm. I thought as soon as I bought that house and walked mm. in it, this would be amazing. Mm. And I realised it wasn't. I had no motivation to look after that house to make it into what mm. it could be. And 
So you ended yes. up on this pathway, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually quite interesting because the the um the education piece is quite interesting because yeah, you know, like I said, we joke about your education choices, but I you know, you chose what you wanted to do, didn't you? Oh yeah. I so you what you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. So despite my my flippant uh, attitude towards that you know you that's a good example of you doing something right i'm actually interested in this yeah yeah so i'm gonna do this whereas i was the other side i did what i was good at um, at university and <coughs> didn't enjoy it at all yeah so i didn't enjoy it at all um barely passed in the end did pass but um, nearly didn't because i hated it so much because i believed that i had to do something to validate myself to validate my worth to prove to other people that uh you know, I could I could do it, whatever it might be, uh, and fell foul of that. Where it's actually doing something you were really interested I mean, in. Because, like, I know I'll get a lot of ribbon for this, I do anyway, but like I have got my gold juice medal, but I love maps. Yeah, we like, do mock you for that, <laughs> don't we, as well? Like, so you've got your geography degree <laughs> and your gold Duke of Edinburgh. So I can't say we don't take the piss out of lids for that. Yeah, but, but it, like, it, I, used to, yeah. I used to collect maps from all my national geographics <laughs> that I had as well. And like my, one of my like life goals yeah. is to have a room with yeah. like maps on the walls. Cause yeah. I, like, from, since I've been like really young onwards. Yeah. So like geography and water, like I'd buy books on water anyway. Yeah. Like I've already got, I've got loads of books somewhere just on literally on loads of different topics of water. I like, would like it if they helped when we went out and did stuff in... in you just don't ask the right questions. I don't, I, and there's a good podcast <laughs> I've actually listened yeah. to, I'll refer you back. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I did follow the, the things that I liked at that point in time, but yeah. also I got distracted by other things mm. and um, moved into the corporate job that I thought would give me, yeah. me more. Um, which I did love again, but in a different way, didn't provide me that fulfillment. It's yeah. the same with like when I entered Ironman Wales in 2018, mm. that was a knee, it was, yeah, it was pretty much a knee jerk reaction to feeling mm. pretty shit about my life. Mm. And I didn't, so you were feeling that existential, the, exactly. the thing Victor Van- Frankel talks and about I, is existential yeah. void, isn't it? Where we, we hate our lives, we don't hate our lives, but our lives are so void of the things that really make us feel fulfilled and purposeful that we look for other things to fill those voids, like, in your case... Entering our world. Yeah. And I remember the first is coming back to the performance piece and, like, that faster athlete narrative. Yeah. I remember the first conversation um, I actually had with you um, in the time that I inquired about coaching and yeah. you were kind of scoping out... <laughs> Whether I wanted to coach you. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, I remember, like, actually saying to you, like, oh, I've done this, this is my 10-mile time trial time. Mm. Like this is what I've done. Like in athletes do it every time they apply for yeah. coaching. Every single and time I, I they tell us this. Like all the results, and this is what I think I could yeah. do. And I could be this fast. Like in some way, like and that, I didn't care. No, you didn't care. And like that's and then I realised I was like I'm chasing all these things, mm. and actually I don't want to be a faster athlete as yeah. such. That might be a byproduct of yeah. the process that I follow, but that's not what's giving me yeah. the greatest yeah, satisfaction. Yeah. And the thing is, too many coaches, whether it be in the sporting world. Or the corporate world, they get too much satisfaction out of their yeah. athletes' results. They talk about them too much. They validate themselves that well, way. And um, you know, I don't. I think that doesn't help matters because as a coach, if you're if you're only motivated and excited by an athlete's performance relative to others in particular, um, then it's not going to. Um, and that's not going to lay the foundations for an appropriate culture, is it? No. You know, we. Um, you know, again, recently, you know, we, uh, be careful how I word this, but recently uh, we experienced a situation at a race where 
an athlete didn't win a race that they could have potentially won, maybe would would or should have won, and an unforeseen set of circumstances led to them not winning. And their coach was there, and I and I knew their coach, and their coach was kind of quite upset about the fact that they'd not won, they'd come second as a result of this unforeseen event. So it was like a, a weird scenario where there was an equipment problem in T2. I can't really say too much about it, otherwise it will focus it too much. But And um, this athlete didn't win. And um, I was just a bit surprised and a little disappointed at how much importance the coach put on the actual outcome of this race. Because fun- fundamentally, it didn't really matter. Um, you know, and there were probably other data points that may have been more relevant as part of this athlete's journey, not whether they came first or second. Um, um, and it just was way too important to the coach for my liking. Um, and um, the, uh, you know, the athlete didn't seem too bad. It didn't seem to be putting as much importance on it as the coach did. Um, and, you know, this worries me, you know, and this is a highly experienced coach that I, I really do respect. But you can just see how easy it is to get drawn into that performance narrative where the focus becomes on that um and um that isn't this doesn't mean to say that you shouldn't be racing to perform either against the clock or against others that, that that's that's not what we're saying it doesn't mean that if you're in the corporate world that you shouldn't be trying to work your way up through the the, the, the corporate ladder as it were or trying to generate more income if you want to but it's why you want to do those things that's important and how they're going to bring great the wider value to your life not that in isolation you think they're going to validate you or make you feel fulfilled because they they won't unless you're a sociopath and an, or a narcissist i suppose those are going to be similarly largely the same things um which some people are so for those of you out there in fact i can't imagine many sociopaths and narcissists would have got much past episode one of our podcast um but if you are and there are plenty of those about then you know Okay, fine. You know, my dad was uh, was a malignant narcissist, and you know we know why it was a bit complicated as to what that occurred. But you know, he couldn't get through the day or through life without that validation of being able to beat other people, being better. You know, his entire life was about functioning in that status um, uh, part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. His status, what was what it was all about, you know, business success money success sporting success coaching success that was how he defined himself of course as he got a bit older that became harder for him to live with rather than a sense of purpose around who he was and the difference that he made each day um one of the things that i love about coaching you lids and other athletes that i work with and in your case it's probably easier for people to relate to is that you know you definitely don't have these post-race anticlimaxes um because all you're thinking about is the, in fact, the anticlimax for you after a race is the fact that you have to wait a little bit before you get back to your normal routine. Yeah, yeah. Because you like your routine. Yeah. And, you know, your routine, you know, has to change a little bit post-race and pre-race. Um, and for you, your purpose is more around the routine that you have, the things that you're doing with other people, and those things have to change when you're building up to a, a, a race. But you've learned to make the races really valuable. Yeah. Way beyond the performance piece, haven't oh, yeah, you? Yeah. So you make the race much more about the experience, the people, um, that kind of thing. I really focus on the like the before the race and the after the race. Yeah. Um, rather than the race. Mm. Like it's that kind of weird in between phase, yeah. isn't it? Of yeah. like 
it's actually exciting in race week. Yeah. Because you you can't do anything else at that point. Yeah. I'm not waiting for the race to yeah. find me. I'm already really, hopefully, and done everything right, content with the process I've followed. Yeah. And so the race is just a fun day out with all your mates. Yeah. Kind of. yeah. And, and you then, still get nervous, don't <laughs> oh, you? Oh, yeah. But, but, yeah. But, but not to the point of being debilitating. No, no, no. So, and, and it creating anxiety as you build the race. So you know, yeah. One of the problems with a lot of athletes, professionals, amateurs, beginners, experience, is that they put so much importance on the result and what that what they think that result says about them that they then the whole experience gets ruined because yeah. they don't enjoy the process they don't enjoy the day they, they're nothing enjoying anything about it do they no, no. and i think like the one for me that always sticks out when i talk to people about was uh, our experience at utah mm. um in the pro lounge after the race because um, <laughs> this is i don't think i was very popular uh no but this is probably like a really good example like a funeral wasn't uh, it well yes yeah, so so after the race, um, we uh, we went to the pro lounge to go get like my wetsuit. And you got me a VIP pass, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I think they gave it everyone. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you're, just, you're just person. Yeah. <laughs> Keep you uh, in your box on your chair. Um, yeah. So so we went and got my uh, wetsuit and other bits out of uh, yeah. out of the pro lounge. I walked in there and I thought this is my first experience yeah. of a world champs racing as a as a pro. And I thought, this is going to be really cool. Like, let's go and enjoy yeah. this. Like, I wanted to get out back on the course because we had lots of other women mm. for passion fit racing as well. But I was like, let's just go and soak this in because I don't know if I'll ever get this yeah. this moment get again. Like, my race haven't gone well at all. We know why. Um, but I was still quite excited about that because I thought, this is yeah. going to be buzzing here. Um, and we walked in and I, I genuinely did like a double take to look if we had actually got into the right room. Yes. Because <laughs> it was pretty... It was, dead it was yeah it was i actually like you do joke but i have been to more exciting funerals yeah and i think what we kind of like you think you post world championships no matter what there'd oh, be an element so of I like we've be, had a great day where the after party's gonna be that sort of like thing yeah like i appreciate people like, were tired but it was pretty oh gosh yeah it was so we walked in i looked around and i was thinking oh me and my pink hair and rainbow flag <laughs> yeah you do yeah. have your flag on your bag <laughs> and uh I just said to you, I looked at you and I was like, right, let's just get our stuff and go. Um, we did get some free food first. Yeah, we did, of course. Um, but that's recovery. That's just us being patient. Yeah. Um, because it was just morbid. And I think, mm. like, we kind of worked through it because we had a chat about it. And nobody seemed like they wanted to be there, did no, they? Didn't seem at like all. They just, like, and I think what's happened. Although they'd had a good day. There's this, like we're saying about, there's this culture of, well, only per one person can win the World Champs. Mm. And everyone puts, I think a lot of people in that room put their eggs in that basket mm. of thinking, that's going to be my day. Mm. And by having that day and winning that, that's going this to be... This is, me, if I get this result, this, this will be, yeah. This going to be all of the things. It's going to like unlock, mm. I'm going to feel mm. this. And when they don't get that moment, because there's only one person who can be at the top mm. step of the podium, it's like, well, that's it. It's like, mm. that didn't, that hadn't given them that feeling that they were looking for. Rather than just celebrating the fact they're mm. there, mm. able to physically do it, mm. race at that level, be in that awesome mm. location, like all of these other things, and just think, do you know what, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And be able to assess their race based on yeah, that. Yeah. Do you know what, I was the best I could be yeah. in the process leading up to it, during the race and and afterwards. And I think they'd given so much and felt like they had and felt like it was going to lead to something that when that moment didn't happen, it was just emptiness. Yeah. And if your sense of fulfilment depends on the result and outcome, you're all you're, you're you're setting yourself up for failure really because i think about my racing career mm. in triathlon more races have probably not gone exactly in fact i can probably only name two races where i go actually do you know what yeah nailed that 
I don't know how many races I've done. Quite a hundred, maybe, I don't know. Probably something like that lot. in the tw tw 12 years I've been doing it. It's yeah. probably not far off that, right? And um, uh, of some form or another, you know, it's quite a lot of races. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously as a hockey player, similarly, you know, I, I, I lost a lot of times. Um, and, um, you know, there was a saying, wasn't there, Giannis is saying this after I think Milwaukee Bucks got knocked out of the playoffs last year, a, a viral interview where he was asked if he felt that they failed. And his, he said to me, so what are you saying? You're saying that uh, Michael Jordan won six championships in 15 seasons. You're saying he failed nine times, you know? Um, you know, so even Michael Jordan, one of the people who we consider the greatest sports people of all time, and of course, you know, we, that definition's already in, you know, scrutiny on, based on our ideology. But, you know, he lost more championships than he won. And so I think, the pro but the problem is if you only define yourself by winning, the problem you've got is that, of course, across the course of your life, you're going to be so disappointed so often because you aren't going to win, you know, every single time. You're not going to get every promotion. No. You're not going to get every job. Well, you're like, not going to like, get every grade like you want. Phrase, like, you're, you're like, you're going to get more no's than yeses. Yes. And it's, it's kind of living your life. Well, in the sales world, like that. that's how it works. Exactly, yeah. like not being despondent just because that didn't happen at that time. Yeah. It's like, that's just another no. Yeah. But like for every five no's you might get, yeah. you might get one yes, yeah. and that yes will feel good. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to what sort of triggered this today, because you know, this is triggered by this incident with this age grouper who, um, who's taken this doping ban. Um, and you know, my understanding of, the, the background is that there that the uh, this is what he'd publish publicized or pub published 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 um, was that he had um, had some struggles with body image around um, how he his you know body might be appropriate for the sporting world that he was in so in triathlon you know this is a ongoing problem <clears throat> and that he had struggled to resolve that. He tried to do it different ways and eventually had become so distraught about it had turned to um, this artificial means to try to help speed that process up. <clears throat> and his partner found his banned substances, told his coach, and massive kudos to his coach. His coach then reported him to anti-doping, which was a really great thing. I, I've actually done that before with an athlete. Um, that athlete doesn't know and still won't know to this day, but... I think as coaches, it's really important that if you have concerns that you, you do that. Um, UK anti-doping are really good, mm. really, really good. British triathlon are really good. If you speak to them, they're really supportive, really helpful. They'll take on board the facts and they make a decision what they do. So if you have worries as a coach, don't don't think you're automatically going to get an athlete into trouble. Just report the facts, what you see, what your concerns are. Um, and then it resulted in a fairly amicable process, I think, with this athlete taking this, this, this ban. Now, like I said, I don't want to make too many judgments either way about this athlete because I don't know them <clears throat> at all. But, um, you know, for me, what worries me more is the underlying root cause of this, which is not, you know, is that this athlete, this individual believed, you know, got so caught up in their perception that they needed to look a certain way to be, you know, kind of accepted in this sport. Um, and... You know, maybe it was performance related, maybe it wasn't. It maybe it was more just about how they looked um, to be acceptable, accepted in the sport, you know, because let's be honest, um, wearing a tri-suit isn't always the most flattering of things. You know, I'm... Um, Unless you've got a good kit designer. 
unless you've got a good kid designer, that does help. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lean and, and slim. So I guess I, that bit for me is, um, uh, you know, it's not something I have to deal with, but I wasn't at the front of the queue for size <laughs> on another part of my body. Uh, can I say that on the podcast? I've said it now, and I, it's about me, so it's all right, isn't it? So of course, you know, skin tight, like granite crotch, don't make me, um, you know, there's certain types of movies I'm not going to be in anytime soon, put it that way. <laughs> you just keep moving on then. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but the point is, you know, it would be easy, and there would have been a time when I would have felt self-conscious about that, um, and, you know, um, in fact, I did have a couple of mates mock me when I first came across the triathlon from uh, hockey about that, and it pissed me off quite a bit. Anyway, so the point is that, um, you know, whether it be because his perception of his body shape was linked to the fact that it would limit his performance opportunity or how other people felt about him, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should be celebrating obesity and normalising that. I'm not saying that we should be celebrating ill health. And I'm not saying that um, body composition objectives for goals shouldn't be part of a process. Of course they are. It doesn't matter what sport you do. When I played hockey, I spent a lot of time in the gym trying to keep weight on because I'm quite small um, to be able to be competitive. So I didn't get pushed off the ball, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you're a rugby player, you couldn't ignore the fact that you need to have a decent amount of muscle size, a bit of decent amount of size because it's part of, you know, the sport. And in triathlon, obviously to unlock you know to progress and develop as a triathlete which is what you're trying to do because you're training aren't you you know um along with things like sleep nutrition and training all these things appropriate body composition is relevant it's not irrelevant okay you know but the problem is it's the the, the way that it impacts the way people feel and our perception of what um appropriate is so, you know, for example, appropriate for a lot of people is a very specific visual image. Whereas actually appropriate look can look really, really, really different for lots and lots of different athletes. And it's about understanding what that is for you and that it aligns appropriately with your goals. So, you know, but, but what I'm saying is that the, the issue is the toxicity that comes with, you know, what people expect of themselves. And the way that a society, a community makes people get into that place. So it might be body image. It might be the way that they perform relative to other people. It might be the way that they perform relative to times, um, the races that they can actually physically finish. You know, people might feel inadequate because they can't finish an Ironman. But the reality might be that both a combination of, say, their physiology and their lifestyle because of other commitments they have might mean that preparing for an Ironman is unrealistic. And they feel like a failure because they haven't been able to do it. You know, we all have different levels of intellect and we all have intellect in different ways, you know, um, and we are all going to be good at some things and not so good at other things. You know, obviously, Lindsay, you, you know, you're autistic and you have that element of neurodiversity. Eugene. We were talking about this yesterday yeah. and how, you know, actually and we don't, we're learning about it, aren't we, as we go. Yeah. But, you know, the way that I engage with you is that I don't actually treat you as diverse just you yeah yeah, yeah? Exactly. so my for me it's like well you're really really good like anybody you're really good at certain things mm-hmm. and not such good at other things yeah and that's everyone in the world right yeah, exactly okay everyone everyone's in the world got strengths and everyone's got development opportunities everyone's got things that are just probably yeah never within their locker yeah so <laughs> we don't talk about oh you know it's because you're not good at these things oh that's terrible it's really hard we don't talk about that we go okay well fine 
But how can we get better at those things yeah. and not put yourself in a situation where being good at those is a requirement, uh, but we put you put you in a position where the things you are really, really good at help you thrive. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, I anyway, I, I, the point is that what makes what scares me is that we we have a, a, a culture in sport, particularly in triathlon, um, in life, in the corporate world, where we 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 create these defined measures of success. We we put a disproportionate amount of importance on them. And then we start to adopt a mindset and set of behaviours that ultimately just create loads of toxicity for us and our journey. And they just spiral us down into a place, a, a dark, dark place that can ultimately lead to some really, really unpleasant outcomes. So in this case, the choice to cheat and break some rules and ultimately lead to them being banned from the sport they started because ultimately they were interested in it and perhaps they loved it. Same with Colin's case, isn't it? You know, Colin yeah. was the same. In his case, it was the pressure of performance um, and the fact that, that seemingly nobody stepped in to, 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 to help take that pressure away and make him recognise that performance wasn't everything. You know, um, we talked about Adam Peaty. Again, I don't know Adam. I can only go on what I've seen in the press. But, you know, the fact that he got into that place, you know, who is looking after him? I know he's got a responsibility to do that himself too, but a lot of athletes are young. They're suggestive. People are suggestible. I know yeah, that because yeah. I worked in sales yeah. and I thrived off people's my ability to influence people and manipulate them. And I guess that's arguably a little bit what we're doing now, ironically, aren't we? Well, we are a bit, aren't we? Because what we're doing is we're putting out a message that will influence the way people think. Yeah. We just believe that this message is important and will help people, yeah. but maybe it won't. I don't know because that's what bias is all about. But you know, I think we've got to, but but when you've got a responsibility for others whether you're whether you're a leader or you're a coach or you're a parent or you're a manager you have to make sure that you don't create a culture an environment where people place so much importance on those objective measures that they they allow that to become where they're driving for decisions absolutely it, yeah. it's their it's their, how they define their journey the success of their journey and we've got to stop selling performance um it's lazy yeah, it's yeah. really fucking lazy. You know, coaches that are going, come to me and perform. Because honestly, you're going to have to work bloody hard to change my mind on this. Whether Even if an athlete says, I'm coming to you because I want to perform better, I think that in the majority of cases, that is because an athlete believes that what's, that's what they want, but ultimately it actually isn't. It's just because they've been conditioned to think that's what they want and they think by be better performance will make them feel about, better about themselves. It's the same with everything. Yeah. Like Another example is like, I find this with bike bits. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I know it's to it is a slightly different example, but they're led to believe that they want to improve aerodynamics. Yeah. They want to optimize all yeah. their kit and equipment in a way that's going to give them this perceived yeah. what's yeah. <laughs> saving yeah. as a result. Well, you go through it and you start to chat through it in more detail. Yeah. And actually, they're like, do you know what? I just want to be comfortable and enjoy riding my bike. Yeah. And it's like this led to believe that, all right, because I get super aero and. Yeah. I'm going to be faster. Aero is it? It's going to be yeah. brilliant. And actually, they're like, do you know what? I don't want to do that. No. I just want to have a really, really comfortable Ironman bike leg yeah. and enjoy having a runoff as well. Yeah. And that's that's actually all I really want. Yeah. I'm not. And if it's like initially, like people, this is why I try to not. Again, similar. It's, it's like you're always kind of that catch twenty two, aren't you? Yeah. Not drive it, trying to drive business through that being yeah. <laughs> like the selling point. Oh, I'll make you faster. Yeah. I just want to make you enjoy your bike. And yeah. However that looks, that's the more important thing yeah. and why. Yeah, it's and it's really frustrating. And I, 
I don't know how we do anything about this, um, but it's really concerning. So if you're listening to this, there's a, a few things I guess that I'd urge you to consider, or we'd urge you to consider is, first of all, when you think that you want to be a higher performer, whether it be in the sporting world or the corporate world, wherever it be, think again, think hard about whether it's what you really want. And if when you achieve that level of performance, you'll actually genuinely feel differently about who you are and your life journey and you know, what it's doing for you. Um, because I'm not sure that when you really get down deep into that thought process, you'll find that that is what you want and what will bring a sense of purpose and fulfillment to you. And um, when you're looking at who you want to be part of that journey with you, sorry, my, my hamstring just, just, just got cramped. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my legs like suddenly appeared next to the side of my head, and I'm wondering it's why. It's, moment, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a very move, cramped room. And, trying to move quietly, yeah. I can feel it was starting to. Yeah. Okay, um, carry on. So um, <laughs> think hard about it and think about um, who you engage with you on that journey. And there's a lot of coaches talking the talk on this but not walking the walk. Um, and there's a lot of coaches talking about your wider journey. So like developing you, but the narrative is still performance orientated. Yeah. We'll help you have a more rounded journey and that will lead to better performance as a triathlete. Yeah. yeah. That for me is still not quite getting it. No. Nope. All right. Um, now I don't get me wrong. Like I said, I'm not ignoring the fact that performance in the world we live in still has relevance and importance. You can't, for example, be in a sales job and disregard, you can't own your, look at us, we own our own business, right? Yep. We can't disregard the need to make money because otherwise the business won't exist. But how we make that money is really important. We can make a shitload more money than we do at the moment by doing it a different way. But we don't because how we make it's really important to us. So, um, you know, we've been called out before indirectly for charging extortionate prices. We do charge quite a lot of money relative to most coaching companies, but I would say we're the best value coaching company yep. that I'm, I'm aware of. Um, so if you, you know, if you think that we, if you called us out for charging extortion prices, well, honestly, you can go fuck yourself because what we do is a far more value than I've seen anywhere else, in my opinion, you know, and because it brings so much more to, to people. Now there are other people doing that out there as well. So, you know, no, we're not alone in that. Um, uh, and, but, but one of the things I think that we still see is a lot of people talking about that wider development piece as a way of making you perform better. What we're trying to say to you is stop thinking about that wider development piece as a way of trying to perform better. Think about that wider development piece about helping you find some purpose, some meaning, some fulfillment and become a, just a better version of you. Because if you go to bed every night thinking that you've achieved that, one, you'll go to bed feeling great about yourself more often than you won't. And you went every day because sometimes life's a bit shit and you make mistakes as well. But you'll also wake up in the morning feeling really motivated about the day. I never, ever get out and think, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that because I have that bigger picture in my mind all the time about what the day is going to offer me. And it's fucking exciting. You know, even the prospect of doing a session, a training session that I might fail at excites the hell out of me because I know what a wonderful opportunity it's going to provide me. I've just done two races that I was relatively rubbish at. I had no experience at doing whatsoever. Um, but I, it was brilliant. I was so excited about doing both of them, so motivated. I still tried to do my best. I didn't just disregard them on maybe the last 20K of 
before stage <laughs> mountain bike race where I was pushing my bike through the sand. I might, have, I might have kind of lost my shit a bit then, decided that just getting back was sufficient. That was the goal. Um, but, you know, it, it was great because, like, I knew I wasn't going to be very competitive, um, but I didn't care. And we talked about this already yeah. because... Um, uh, and the only thing about those races that was a bit... Uh, uh, less positive was the fact that I was so bloody tired <laughs> after both of them I couldn't do what I wanted to do the next day um, in terms of enjoyment so I had to accept but I had to accept that and the opportunity was great so this is what we mean about performance toxicity what we more mean is that actually we are living in a world where we unconsciously believe that being a better performer or whatever it might be will sort of bring us some sort of sense of fulfillment and happiness that being leaner stronger whatever it might be, we have these goals and we think if we tick them off, something will happen to us. Um, like you said, Lids, buying a house, getting a degree, getting this job, getting that promotion, whatever it might be. And it, honestly, it won't. You need to think harder about what it is that's really going to make a difference. And if you're a coach and you're taking money off someone, or even if you're not, but someone puts their trust in you to help them with that journey, you have a responsibility to make sure that you don't take them on a pathway that's going to create toxicity for them. You can't always get that right. I definitely haven't always got it right. I've got it really wrong very often. And I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed about it, but I'm really disappointed at myself. But again, as coaches, I have to, we have to learn. So that's what we mean. And let's stop creating an environment where people like Colin and like Lewis end up making the decisions that they end up, they end up making. There are going to be people that are going to do that anyway. But they don't, automatically present as the kind of people that would have been in that place if the world around them had been it had been different and i think it's time that we stopped that happening and for some of you out there i think before you go into this year think really bloody hard about what it is that you actually want out of this year and out of this out of next year and out of this journey and are you setting yourself up for a year of fulfillment and purpose and you know, solid well-being, motivation, excitement, passion, all those things, or are you setting yourself up for another year where you just go round and round in this circle of, you know, provision, functioning in what we call a provisional state because you think a certain thing is going to make you feel better, you either do or don't achieve that thing, and either way, you don't feel better, and you just go round and round and round and round like this, and if, you know, you've got a choice, create a situation where that's, you're not in that, because even though as coaches we have a responsibility, ultimately the accountability for what you decide, the pathway you decide to go on is yours. And you don't have to get yourself caught up in that place. All right. So, and, you know, I've said this before as a coach, you know, my legacy is not about how many high performers I create. I'm not saying that there's no reward in that. It, it, there still is sometimes because of what it says about what you've done. It's not about, but it's not about the performance itself. But my legacy is about the difference I make, the genuine difference, the long-term sustainable difference I make, and even better, leaving behind something that people can still benefit from when I'm gone. Um, and we all have that opportunity in one form or another. So, sorry, Liz, I feel really... Because you haven't said a lot today. No, but you're it's... currently you're currently nursing your cramp. So. No, it's all right now. It's all right now. Um, but anyway, there we go. We thought we'd get that out there today because it's certainly something that had been bothering us isn't it yeah um and for you with your you know specific form of diversity you know the approach that we you and i have developed actually yeah, with yeah. lauren yeah. yeah it hasn't just been me has changed your entire life hasn't it oh yeah and mine yeah 
um, you know, because I don't come without my challenges, problems. Um, and, um, you know, there are plenty of people out there that can help you do what we do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I hope that helps some of you to have a better 2024 than maybe you might have done had you not listened to this. Okay, so like shy like sh- <laughs> oh my god you just like merged it all like, together yeah. <laughs> like yeah like subscribe shy shy uh yeah that's it that's the one um because we want more people to know about you know, what we're doing yeah. what we're trying to do even if it's other coaches that can go away and adopt some ideas that help people they already work with then fantastic um and let us know what you think yeah like as said, always a slightly more serious you know topic today than the last time yeah it is um, but I think something that's important and I hope that the message made sense and was clear and wasn't too long 53 minutes that's quite good for us hey thanks very much guys have a good day